University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. Just about every holiday that I get together with my family, my brother-in-law Clay and I spend a decent amount of time on a jigsaw puzzle. It's become at least an annual tradition of ours. We usually go for the 1,000-piece puzzles. It's a good, uh, appropriate size for the time that we have to spend together. And if you've ever done a jigsaw puzzle, you'll know how it can be simultaneously cathartic and extremely frustrating. Searching for the right piece with a sense of expectation and hope is invigorating. Seeing the pieces fit together is extremely motivating. Now, that might say a lot about how boring my life is most of the time, but I hope that some of you all have a similar experience. But then, of course, after you've been looking for that one piece that you need for 20 minutes, you might feel like flipping the table over and just calling it quits. But then there's probably the worst puzzle experience anyone can have, which Clay and I had a couple years ago. I think we were working on a Star Wars puzzle. And we'd spent maybe three or four days off and on trying to finish this thing. We got really close late one night to finishing, decided to stay up a little while longer. 20 pieces remaining. We find a few more. We have about 10 pieces remaining. Piece a couple more together and five, and four, three pieces, two pieces, and there was one piece missing. Oh, it's the worst. You feel like all this work you've done was a total waste. And I don't know whether it was the manufacturer forgot to put it in or one of the dogs had eaten it that week and we just didn't notice. But we look back on that now and laugh. In the moment, it was extremely frustrating. Now, I tell you this because we find ourselves with a text of Scripture today that some people might view as a puzzle. It raises questions about how we read the Bible. One approach that many people take, especially when it comes to difficult or challenging or confusing text, is to see the Bible as if it were a jigsaw puzzle. That if we match all of the texts up in just the right way, piece them all together appropriately, then all the answers will be revealed to us. This approach, of course, assumes that there is one right way to read this text or that text, and that if we miss one piece, the whole thing is ruined. I'm not sure it works that way. But before we get any further, let's read our text together. Today we're in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 9 through 13. Jesus says, And I tell you, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. Whoever seeks finds. To everyone who knocks, the door is open. Which father among you would give a snake to your child if the child asked for a fish? If the child asked for an egg, what father would give the child a scorpion? If you, who are evil, 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? To put it bluntly, prosperity gospel preachers love this text. Anything you want is yours if you just ask God for it. All your heart's desires are within reach if you just pray with enough faith and boldness. Oh, and don't forget to send your tithe this week so we can teach you how to do it properly. There's always a catch, isn't there? Life is never quite that simple, never quite that easy. I don't think interpreting the Bible is either. Again, I don't think that the Bible is a jigsaw puzzle, but it begs the question, why would Jesus say something that just doesn't seem true all the time? I've asked for plenty of things in my life that I didn't get. I've searched for plenty of answers that I still haven't found. I've knocked on many doors that were slammed shut right in my face. I'm sure that I don't need to problematize this text for you, though. I'm sure that many of us have wondered in the backs of our minds how to reconcile our life experience with what Jesus says here. It really isn't a new question. But rather than throw the baby out with the bathwater, see what wisdom we might find in what Jesus is saying. See, if we're reading the Bible rightly, I think, we're reading it in order to find how to live our lives well. The Bible isn't really an answer book. It's not something that just gives us the correct understanding or the right way of thinking. Because there are many different perspectives in the Bible on a whole lot of things. And if we think we're going to find the one right interpretation or the one right way, we might be a little disappointed. If you need proof of this, later in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus will be in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before his death, and he will pray for God to take the cup of suffering from him. But God doesn't. And Jesus still has to go through with this brutal execution. Jesus asks and he doesn't receive. He does concede by saying, not my will, but your will, of course. But doesn't that make the point even that much stronger? If all he has to do is ask for the thing he wants and then he'll receive it, why doesn't he? Why doesn't he get it? I don't think there's any way around it. This is a contradiction. But we're mature readers of Scripture here. We can handle a little bit of contradiction and complexity, right? I love the way that Frederick Buechner puts it. If you're familiar with Frederick Buechner, then uh, you know and love him, I'm sure. But he says, if somebody claims that you have to take the Bible literally, word for word, or not at all, ask him if you have to take John the Baptist literally when he calls him the Lamb of God. If somebody else claims that no rational person could take the book seriously, which assumes that the world was created in six days and a man in an afternoon, ask him if he can take Shakespeare seriously, whose scientific understanding would have sent a third grader into peals of laughter. If you look at a window, he says, you see fly specks, dust, the crack where Junior's frisbee hit it. But if you look through the window, 
You see the world beyond. If we're reading the Bible and this text in a mature and wise, healthy way, then I think we read it as the lens through which we see the rest of the world around us. It helps us not ask, what is the answer? But how does this help us live well? So how does this teaching from Jesus help us live well? Jesus says, ask and seek and knock. I can say confidently that what this text does not say is that we can ask for whatever we want and we'll get it. Seek whatever we would like and find it. Knock on whatever door we want to be opened and it'll be opened to us. And I know that because I have the evidence from my own life experience And I bet you do too. That kind of thinking makes God out to be more like a cosmic vending machine where we just input the currency of our prayers, select the right number, say the right things, and out comes the thing that we want. It actually reminds me a little bit of the Harry Potter series, believe it or not. We had a chance to take the youth to the beach this week and a little day trip, and Justin and Noel and I listened to, believe it or not, almost the entire first Harry Potter book on audiobook on our trip at, I think, two times the speed, which if you've never done that in an audiobook is a mind-bending experience. But there's this part in the Harry Potter series where Harry confronts the mirror of Erised. It's a magical mirror. And he's curious about what's in this mirror because it doesn't show reality as it exists in front of him. Instead, the mirror shows his parents, who died before he ever had the chance to get to know them, as if they're standing right there with him. The mirror shows the deepest desire of his heart, the thing that he most wants. But it's not real. It might say something about his heart, about what he really wants, but it doesn't say a whole lot about what he will actually get out of life in front of him. As a result, this magical mirror has been shut away in a closet for years because of how many lives it had ruined. I wonder if some of our thinking about prayer is similar. And not to draw this analogy too far, but I think if we have this idea about this passage that God will simply just give us what we want if we pray in the right way or with the most faith. It's actually kind of magical thinking, isn't it? I don't think it's what Jesus is teaching here, and I think what Jesus is teaching is something infinitely more encouraging and empowering. Because in this passage, Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And he's teaching us how to pray in the context of the kingdom of God. He's immensely concerned, perhaps most concerned in his ministry, with the kingdom of God, with the world being made right, with God's reign, God's justice and mercy and compassion and love becoming fully present around us. So for Jesus, when we pray, when we ask and seek and knock, The things we are asking and seeking and knocking for fall under the purview of the kingdom of God, not simply my life and what I want. 
I think we might save ourselves a whole heap of frustration and maybe find more life and encouragement if we see the text this way. This entire teaching in the Gospel of Luke begins with an earlier request from the disciples. They say, Lord, teach us how to pray. It's not insignificant that Jesus often goes by himself to pray. It seems something that he was deeply committed to, often leaving behind crowds of people clamoring for his attention in order to spend an evening in quiet solitude with God. His disciples surely see this, and they finally ask him to teach them how to do the same. This very question has always struck me. Shouldn't they already know how to pray? Don't they already know? Why do they need to ask Jesus something so simple as how to pray? Perhaps there was something else to learn, some mystery they hadn't grasped yet. Jesus' answer to to the disciples includes the Lord's Prayer in Luke. He says, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. The central focus of this prayer, again, is the kingdom of God. Your kingdom come. God, bring your kingdom here because we desperately need it. This is a communal prayer, a cry for God's kingdom to come to the whole world. And if, it's, if God's kingdom is one of justice for the oppressed, care for the poor, love between neighbors and enemies, a kingdom in which all wrongs are made right, it certainly doesn't seem like that's the case yet. Well, Jesus continues by talking about how good God is, and certainly how God desires to give us good things, to give us what we need in order to be part of this kingdom. And he concludes this entire teaching by saying, therefore, ask, seek, and knock. Be bold and persistent and keep asking. Our need and desire for this kingdom is palpable. And maybe it could stir our hearts to long for change and to pray. Jesus is clear in this teaching that God is faithful and will respond to all who ask. And yet, when we look at our own lives, again, we might have examples of the opposite. How many prayers for healing have gone unanswered? How many stories have we heard of someone who is sick being prayed for and not finding health? How many of us have prayed for healing in our world or in our country and just continued to see division and strife? Sometimes it makes me wonder, is God not listening? Is God not here when we pray? But again, this is the key, I think, for Jesus. We're looking to this text for wisdom, not answers or knowledge. 
as Frederick Buechner says, we're looking not at it, but through it. As the window through which we might see the world around us and the divine within it. We look at this text to show us how to live our lives well. I believe we can be as persistent as Jesus is asking us to here. We've seen in Jesus' message before, last year we had a whole series on the kingdom of God, the parables of the kingdom. And we've seen that God is after partnership with us in bringing all of this to fruition on earth. We're not passive bystanders, simply waiting for God to intervene. But we're called to be bearers of good news to the world around us as we respond to God's call in our lives. So prayer is very, very active. The Apostle Paul goes as far, of course, as calling us the body of Christ. Later theologians would say, Christ has no body in the world except for you. Jesus concludes this teaching on prayer by saying, how much more will God give his Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So it may be that the answer to our prayers, many of them, is God's Spirit empowering us to be the answer to them. Mother Teresa is famously quoted as saying this. She said, I used to pray that God would feed the hungry or do this or that, but now I pray that he will guide me to do whatever I'm supposed to do, whatever I can do. I used to pray for answers, she said, but now I pray for strength. I used to believe that prayer changes things, but now I know that prayer changes us and we change things. That's wisdom. And that's coming from a woman who knew how to live her life well, who prayed more fervently than most people ever have, more than I certainly ever have, but who learned that prayer is much more about just getting what we want. The prayer may be more about changing us than changing God, more about opening ourselves to be aligned with God and God's mission in the world than simply a passive request for intervention. When Jesus' disciples ask him how to pray, he talks about the kingdom of God. And he tells them that God is faithful. God will answer by giving the Spirit to all who ask. Our world is often full of suffering, but God is not. Our human institutions fail us daily, but God does not. When Jesus' disciples ask him how to pray, he calls them to be the answers to their prayers, trusting that God is with them to help. Prayer then becomes the mode by which we align ourselves with the Spirit of God. That as we pray for God's kingdom to come, as we pray for the Holy Spirit in our lives, as we ask and seek and knock, we might find that God's answer to our prayer is our very own empowerment. These might be dangerous prayers to pray. We better be ready 
We better be ready to pray these prayers, to pray, God, bring your kingdom, because God may very well say, okay, go do it. This week, may we be bold enough to pray, thy kingdom come. May we be bold and audacious enough to ask for God to bring healing to our world. We know it needs it. We all need it. But knowing that God might just call us to be a part of it. May we be bold enough to ask and to seek and to knock, to pray persistently. Not in spite of the mess in the world around us, but because of it. Knowing how much more God desires to empower us, to bring change. If we, as a church, prayed this fervently and this persistently and this boldly and were ready to put those prayers into action, I wonder what our world might look like as a result. invite you this morning to pray with me for this. This prayer will be one that we can pray this week uh, as we've been giving you challenges of prayers to recite on your own throughout the week that might encourage you, that might challenge you, that might strengthen you. Let's pray this prayer together. Spirit of God, descend upon my heart, wean it from the earth, through all its pulses move. Stop to my weakness, mighty as thou art, and make me love thee as I ought to love. I ask no dream, no prophet ecstasies, no sudden rending of the veil of clay, no angel visitant, no opening skies, take the dimness of my soul away. Teach me to feel that thou art always nigh. Teach me the struggles of the soul to bear, to check the rising doubt, the rebel sigh. Teach me the patience of unceasing prayer. Teach me to love thee as thine angels love one holy passion filling all my frame, kindling of the heaven-descended dove, my heart an altar, and thy love the flame.